Hey, it's Alicia Sani. And I'm Al Donato. From HuffPost Canada, you're listening to Born and Raised, a podcast about children of immigrants living in Canada. And today's episode is all about what it feels like to miss someone. Today, we're starting off with a bus ride in North York, Ontario, aboard the 51 Leslie route to be exact. It's a route very familiar to Philip and Don Morgan, the mother-son duo taking a ride with us. About to head on route to where my mom first met my dad. Let's go back to the fall of 1972. Don would hop on the bus at Leslie and Shepherd Avenue, and two stops later, Emerson, the man who would later become her husband, would get on. Uh, he usually was seated somewhere towards the back of the bus, and um, he would then get up and give me his seat. And uh, um, it went on for, for, I guess, quite some time. So they would ride the bus together, Emerson on his way to university and Dawn on her way to work, until... I guess it must have been a Friday. He asked me what I was doing on the weekend. And so I mentioned that my mom was in Canada and had been for a few, several months and she was going back home and I was having a gathering with some friends and having a party. And, um, you know, it was like a dinner party and just social. And so I, I said, if you're welcome to come if you'd like to. I really didn't think that he was going to show up, but I gave him the address, and to my amazement, there was a knock at the apartment, and at the door, I guess somebody must have let him in because they didn't have, he didn't buzz, and there he was at the door. Okay. See, the whole time I thought Dad made the first move, but I guess no, it was, it was you. Lib. I did. <laughs> so what drew Don to Emerson? Well, one, he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was 6'2", 6'3", but... We had a lot of things in common. We had the same values. Um, he was a caring person. The fact that he was always getting up and giving me his seat. And then as time grew by, because he was always coming over, we just started spending more and more time together. And I, I can't tell you a time when it, we crossed over, but it just sort of, we grew to start liking each other and spending more and more time with each other. Don and Emerson continued to ride this bus route together for many years. It became a place where she forged friendships and a place where Don returns to remember them. So this route means a lot to me. I think it was, if I was to use a term, I would just say it was my first journey into uh, living in Canada and uh, what life in Canada would eventually be. This was my stepping stone. When I think about today's topic, I almost feel like I was born into it. Like, I can't remember a time, even in childhood, where my family wasn't talking about what it was like back home, all the people they missed. Like, I think I was always surrounded by the feeling of missing someone. And it's further exacerbated because my relationship with my family, for the most part, is a long-distance relationship. Uh, I don't know the majority of them. We've never met before. We only t talk through online, through letters, sometimes sending photographs. And as the years go by, it becomes less about the words and more about sending emojis or pictures. One tradition that's really stayed strong has been sending balik bayan boxes, which is a very popular practice in the Philippines. So a balik bayan box is about a waist-high cardboard box filled with canned goods like spam, 
used clothes, used toys, uh, whatever someone requests for. So that might look like Nike shoes if they're really bougie. And I think getting those Balik Bayan boxes, it can convey the message to them without words that I'm thinking about them, I miss them, and I want them to be happy. I want to take care of them. Yeah, it's like a care package. It is a care package, exactly. Alicia, what does missing someone feel like to you? Well, I have a bunch of cousins who live in India. I've met them, a handful of them, only once in my life when I was really young. And I do feel like there's a longing to form a relationship with them. And I, I sometimes think, you know, how fun would it have been if we all had grown up in the same country or if they visited, you know, in Canada and the memories we could have had together. So it's like there's this whole other group of women that I'm related to that have my last name. They experience so much of the same stuff as me back home. Like I see them on Instagram, on Facebook. I see their pictures and their family photos and their lives don't look too different from mine. It's just a different country, but you know, a lot of their experiences look very similar. They watch the same TV shows, um, follow the same kinds of music. And I would love to just get to know them more, but I feel like it's really hard because, you know, 25 years have gone by of my life and I don't really know them. I only know them through pictures. Yeah. You know what? I'm wondering if they feel the same way, though. Like they're wondering, oh, man, Alicia in Canada looks so much fun. I wish we could talk and hang out. Yeah. I mean, I met my one of my first cousins in Florida. We met up in Florida by complete coincidence. We didn't even really plan it. And she's a few years older than me. And she looked at me and she was like, you are exactly like my sister, like my other first cousin. And she's like, you've never really met her, but you have the same mannerisms. You move your hand the same way. You laugh the same way. And I'm like, how is there another girl across the world who's apparently exactly like me? And I, I don't know anything about her. She's your doppelganger. Yeah. Our next guest has also experienced what it's like to miss people in different ways. Vivian Kendall Kong knows all about emotional separation. After coming out, she had to separate herself from her two loves, her family and her faith. My parents apparently met each other and knew upon like seeing each other that they were going to get married. So I just expected that to happen for me. And so I was like, I don't have any sexual attraction to boys. I will meet the right one and it will just happen. I will know. God will say, this is your husband. <laughs> yeah, no, that didn't happen. And that's okay. That's okay because I queer. <laughs> so my name is Vivian Kendall Kong. I am 27 and I was born in Canada, born in the Durham region, but my parents came to Canada from Hong Kong. Religion brought Vivian's parents to Canada. They worried staying in Hong Kong would lead to Christian persecution from China's government which at the time was in talks to regain control of the region. In Canada, the church became their haven, as it did for many Chinese Christian newcomers. It's a place for families to be able to sit down after like a week of suffering through language barriers and suffering through like cultural shenanigans and just, you know, hidden racism and stuff to just like sit and be with people that understand all of that. She grew up singing in choirs, going to service, and attending Christian camps. 
Vivian even memorized Bible verses. They had a special place in her heart. She's still really good at it, by the way. John 3.16, I guess, the one that everyone generally knows, like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in What was less close to her heart were sermons against LGBTQ communities. When I think about it now, it was very painful, but I didn't feel it then because I didn't know. And like, I was really ashamed of who I was because I was told to be ashamed of who I was once I realized who I was. As she became more in touch with her queerness, hearing those views from family started to sting. Every once in a while, if they saw something that was kind of like queer on the TV, my parents wouldn't really understand, but then they would also kind of be like, oh, like he's kind of gay, isn't he? And then like they'd laugh about it. To realize it was something that I was afraid of sharing with them made it so that it was really difficult for me to function in their space. I was just tired of it. I was tired of constantly fighting with them. I was tired of like always pushing them away. And so I came up to them. We love you anyway, but like, keep it on the down low. Vivian didn't. She told her friends and she made a Facebook post. I feel really free right now. And I feel like I can be myself. I like, I feel like I'm free. And my dad was like, then go be free elsewhere. There were months in which like, I was just not talking to them. When your family is your only social support for so many years, and then to just push away your social support of your own volition, that's a lot of pain. That's a lot of emptiness. That's a lot of just sadness. There is a lot of just silence. When they were talking, things got painful. At one point, Vivian's mom made her go to a conversion therapy session with the church's pastor. So I went, and this pastor talked at me for like an hour and a half before I said a word. What experience in your life made you gay? And he was like a mentor to me. So that was really hard to lose that part of something I had that like I had joy in. And then to have that ripped away was really, really sad. Pulling away from the church was like pulling away from home. So I pulled away from two homes at once. Vivian moved out of her parents' place and stopped attending service. The church was how Vivian's parents anchored themselves to Canada. But for her, the values it was teaching were tearing their relationship apart. So she made peace with being away from home. And she came to terms with her situation through a hymn. I've always enjoyed It Is Well With My Soul. Um, it's an older song, and it's technically a song of grief, but it's also a song of, like, understanding and coming to peace. And, like, the lyrics, like, when peace like a river attendeth my way, um, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, um, you have taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. And, like, it fits in, like, also the life experiences that I've had. It's okay to be pushed away from people. It's okay to exist not fully understanding where you are. And it's well with my soul. It's, it's you're, you're safe. I constantly live between, and that's okay. And I think that having been born as a child of immigrants allowed me to be okay with being in liminal spaces. And it's okay to not fit. And it's okay to, to grow in a way where you 
make your own place to fit, right? And that, I think, is the beauty of second generation, to never really fit and to be okay with that. The rift between Vivian and her parents still lingers, but time has eased the pain between them. We're, we're all growing as people, and like that's something that I'm actively working on fixing. Getting to this place took a lot of work, but Vivian isn't alone. A while back, she met this girl named Maria. The two quickly hit it off and eventually fell in love. I started sending her letters. Apparently, they all arrived at the same time. Like, I was like, no, I was trying to be romantic. She's like, I'm sure it would have been romantic if they arrived on time. (laughs) When we first met, we had discussed family and faith and a lot of different things. And it turned out that she is also part of the church. And she also has worked for the church before. And so we had this connection in which we were both kind of like lapsed Christians in that like neither of us really went to church as often as we used to. One Sunday, that all changed. You should come to this gay church with me. And I was like, a gay church? Yeah, I didn't realize how much I missed it until I was standing in a congregation and singing and and being able to like be surrounded by voices that were harmonizing or existing together. And so I was like, oh, oh, yes, yes. And I felt like connected again. And I felt like there was a piece of me that had been missing that was slotted back in place. I was like, so she's taking me to church. And my mom was like, I love her. (laughs) I love her so much. When do we meet her kind of thing, basically. Like, because they knew I'd been away from the church for so long. And they were just like, yes, finally someone who can, like, talk some sense into our child. (laughs) Soon a wedding was in the couple's future. Now the big question was... Would you be okay if we invited my parents? And she was like, do you think they're ready for that? because it's a wedding, it's different from just accepting someone. There's a whole other level of understanding that has to be happening. Like, sure, you guys can date, but like, you're not, you know, married yet. Them being there, like you can see in the photos that the photographer took, they're so happy. I was really upset with my dad the entire time because he was filming it on his cell phone. I was like, we have a photographer, put it down. Like the fact that that was my main annoyance is a really good thing. I now present to you Vivian and Maria Kendall Kong, partners in life, newly married in the eyes of God and in accordance with the laws of Canada. They give each other a kiss. This is from one of her dad's videos. On camera, Vivian is smiling. Her arms are open, and she nearly tackles him in a hug. Vivian's relationship with her dad is in a better place. It's a place she never imagined they'd be after he told her to go be free elsewhere. She says it's never going to be like it was before, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it could be better. And like to be able to talk um, about my wife openly with my parents and to have my parents ask how she is and to have her ask how my parents are and like, have you messaged your parents recently? Have you talked to Maria about this recently? We should go on a family vacation together. Like, it's so good. I think distance does not get enough credit when it comes to relationships. Like, when I reflect on my relationship with my sister, distance has really helped us heal. 
uh, we were kind of like cat and dog growing up. We were super close physically, but emotionally, it just wasn't all there sometimes. I think a lot of that stems from us being second gen kids, but in different ways, right? She's a bit more rebellious, whereas I would be like, I want to listen to my elders. I want to respect my mom's cultural traditions and values. I want to follow the le- follow the leader, follow the leader. That's my view. She's more like, I'm going to rebel. I'm going to stay up all night. What's a curfew? I'm going to hang up with my friends. Don't give me that lunch. Classic yada, younger yada, sister. Yada. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was only as distance of time, like growing up, both of us becoming adults, but also the distance of me physically moving out that we realized, oh my gosh, I actually miss this human. I want this human back in my life. And we've started texting each other a lot. So I know I love you is like kind of thrown around as like, uh, I don't really hear that. But for us, it was like, oh, we'd say it through gritted teeth. <laughs> and now we actually text it like genuinely like, I love you so much. Take care, Anak. We call each other Anak as like child, kind of as a joke. That's kind of like calling Aww. your friend son. Oh, that's cute. It's like, I love you, son. I miss you, son. So it's really nice that you and your sister are close now. I don't totally feel like I can relate to the sibling rivalry in that sense, but distance it's an interesting concept because I've sort of learned that it's okay to distance myself from some relatives as I've gotten older. And that doesn't mean that I don't like them anymore. It just means I'm now an adult and I have to work on my relationship with them and what I want that to look like. And they can't just be up in my face all the time and being all nosy because I'm not a little kid anymore. Mm, actually enforcing distance like mm-hmm. as a healthy boundary. Yeah, it makes me have, I think, a healthier, happier relationship with all these people that I truly do love, I just would like some space every would now like and then. Some space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I think there's a lot to say about having a chosen family within your family. So as much as we might feel, especially in big ethnic families, you know, there's there's so there's so many people, it can kind of get complicated, like having lots of these relationships. But if you know, if there's negativity, cut that out. It kind of takes our generation, I think, to break that cycle, to form our own relationships, have our own families. And that's culturally, I think, a very Canadian thing to do to um, maybe separate a bit and not... It feels like a betrayal, but it's not. Right. It does feel like a betrayal. But I think that's sort of the, the ethnic obligation, right? And, you know, I think when you assimilate into Canadian society, those kind of viewpoints evolve, right? And it takes our generation to change it. Our last story is about missing someone who isn't coming back and how celebration kept one mother's memory alive. Um, So my name is Ashani Nath. I am from Ottawa, but the reason I am brown is because my parents are from India, if you trace us back. Okay. The reason I am proud. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say totally. that? Is that okay? Indian culture was, you know, it's one of those things looking back, it was definitely a component and something that my parents, particularly my mom, was trying really hard to instill in a lot of different aspects of my childhood. I was put in Hindi school, which did not take, and I cannot speak Hindi. I also, like, never wanted to wear Indian clothes. I didn't want to go to temple. I kind of prided myself on being a coconut, so the idea of being brown on the outside and white on the inside. 
one of the things that I realized looking back that she really actively did for us in terms of culture was the Diwali party. So she was known for throwing this massive Diwali party. And it was like a staple on our calendar every year. It was always hosted at our house. Alicia, I think I need a quick refresher. What's a Diwali party? I know there's something about lights. and Yes, you're yeah. right about the lights. Uh, it's literally the festival of lights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. It's five days. Um, it's celebrated by millions of Hindus, Sikhs, Jans across the world. Um, it coincides with the Hindu New Year. And basically what it is, it's a celebration of new beginnings and the triumph of good over evil and light over darkness. My grandma probably would not be that impressed with that um, explanation. Well, she'd be like, keep going. And I'm <laughs> kind of... And then, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the best way I can put it. It sounds like a blast. She would be cooking all day. We would have cleaned the house the week leading up to it. We would get this big bin out of the basement that was filled with paper dolls and plastic tea lights and tinsel and all the decorations that we used every year. Me and my friends would decorate the whole house. Right before the party, we would all go get ready and wear our fanciest Indian clothes and full jewelry, big winged eyeliner, the whole thing. And when people started to arrive, it would be just an immediate buzz and excitement. We would get presents from the Diwali monster, which is like our version of Santa Claus. It is not in like cultural practice at all. This is just something weird that we came up with. There would be a small like puja, which is like a prayer ceremony. And we would just ball out on culture kind of thing. Like we went all in and it was looking back a really unique experience, given that at the time I was pushing against everything else. But that was the one day a year that I would fully embrace it. And we all looked forward to that party so, so much. So she did a lot of these things, I think, as a way of making me feel connected in an environment that she was so unfamiliar with. Like she spent time living and growing up in India and I didn't. So she was trying to pass on a lot of that to me. She was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Basically, um, she was quite young when she got diagnosed. I think she was a little over 50. I don't even remember now. But it it just completely changed everything. Throughout her cancer treatment, there were ways that she found to make it fun or make it a party or find a, way, a reason to bring people together. A bunch of her friends and, and her would have chemo parties. Her friends would come over and like they would do tequila shots and then you know, have a great night and then go and get her chemo the next day. She was always adamant that it wasn't just that she was fighting to live, it was fighting for the life that she wanted. Her cancer did, She after the first round, she did end up getting cleared of cancer, which is amazing. Um, she lived cancer-free for a number of years, and then unfortunately it did come back. So that last week when she was in the hospital and like declining every day, um, so many people came to the hospital and hung out with her that the nurses actually had to give us the storage closet. We had our entire family on both sides come in, all of our friends from Ottawa, a bunch of my friends from Toronto, all these people were at the hospital every day for like almost a whole day. And they would just set up camp in there and then come visit my mom whenever she could. 
but they were they had a buffet going everyone would bring food it was like a small it was almost like the parties that she used to host and it was like she was hosting it she was just not in the same room but it was very much the same vibe of like everyone catching up and just it was a warmth it was a warmth that she had created that she was almost like passing on inadvertently So she passed away on April 24th, 2015. It is something I'm still dealing with. It's not, uh, it's not something that I ever thought I would have to deal with. Like you never think that, but, um, I think a lot of people talk about moving on after someone passes away. And I don't know that that's ever true like I don't know that you ever actually move on and I think that's what I've realized it just becomes this kind of constant piece of you that's missing you don't ever know how much that loss is going to impact you or when it's going to hit you in various ways sometimes it's as little as when I'm cooking and I don't remember how to make a certain thing or I want to try and make this thing that she used to make me when I was sick and I don't have the recipe or I don't know the ingredients or I don't know what this thing is in English or I don't know what this English thing is in Hindi and how much salt do I put in food? How much like garam masala should I, what is garam masala? Like how do you make that? <laughs> so all these little things that like I can ask my aunts, I can ask my grandma, um, but I wanna know it from her. Every time I realize that the source of those answers is no longer there, and instead I have to figure it out on my own, it hurts all over again. I, when I think about her and what I think about like what I miss the most, when we would be sitting on the couch, I would just like snuggle up to her. When I think about like the love that we had, that's what I think about because it's the type of embrace. It's not even an embrace, it's just a closeness. So I think that's what we, that's, it's not a love that you put into words, it's a love that you feel. So that's what we had. Ishadi's family turned Diwali weekend into a new tradition. The Diwali party, which was her, her institution, um, I knew that I couldn't take that on and I knew that I'd, my dad wouldn't be keen to take that on. We actually talked about it and um, we handed it over to very close family friends of ours who had been there since the beginning. And um, they had always been, you know, really close in terms of organizing and helping out with it from the get-go. Um, so they, we handed that torch uh, over to them and the format stays the same. We do all the same things like the Volley Monster, um, gambling, drinking, prayers all of it um and it's now become a little bit of a testament to her as well um what we've added is that now i also host a thanksgiving dinner so we've turned it into this weekend called thanks wally <laughs> so it's on thanksgiving weekend every year and uh the saturday will typically be the volley um and then the sunday would be thanksgiving dinner and the dinner is a tradition that was actually started before she passed. So it was uh, 
the kid, all the kids got together and hosted a dinner for the parents as a thank you. Um, so she was actually in attendance for a few of these like kid run Thanksgiving dinners. But after the fact, uh, after she passed away, I kind of took that on as like a hosting thing. Um, and that was my way of saying thank you. She was always impressed when we tried and like those Thanksgiving dinners where the kids and when I say kids, I mean like the ages range from like 16 to 30. So we're all over the map. We're definitely not kids, but for this group, we will always be the kids. She she came to a few of them before she passed away and she was just she loved it. It didn't matter that the food was like not always great or, you know, sometimes we messed it, things up or the timing was off. You know, we were learning. But I think she just wanted so badly for us to try, specifically for me to try, because I was never one to want to learn to cook. She tried to teach me a couple times. It went terribly. So I think now if she saw what we've been able to do and how we've chosen to remember her and honor her in a lasting way, um, and it's not as like, you know, it's not as overt as like, this is her party or anything. It's just keeping those things that she built alive. Um, I think she would, I think she would be happy. Grief can be ongoing, but it can turn into something beautiful, like it did for Ashani and her family. I just want to thank Ashani for sharing her mom's story. I want to thank her too. It was really sweet to hear and you know what? I hope they have many more thanks volleys to come. Everybody, that's the end of this season. Born and Raised is hosted by me, Aldonado. And me, Alicia Sani. Our producers are TK Matanda, Stephanie Werner, and Aldonado. Our executive producers are Lisa Young and Andre Lau. Additional production work courtesy of Maya Kapler, Katie Jensen, and Vocal Fry Studios. Big thanks to today's guests, Ishani Nath, Vivian Kendall-Kong, Philip and Don Morgan, as well as all of our wonderful guests this season. We love you guys so much. And a big thank you to you, our listeners. Hey, We're so grateful that you've come along for this ride. We hope you loved listening as much as we loved making this. If you did, feel free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to us. It really helps us out. It might be the end for this run, but our love story with you isn't really over. To see photos of our guests, show notes, and read a transcript of this episode, check out HuffPost.ca. And that's it for this season of Born and Raised. Bye! Bye. Still love ya!